Welcome to the Sermon of the Week. Before you begin listening, let me pray that you would encounter God right where you are. Father, I ask that your Spirit would be present wherever people are listening. May they be aware of your presence and receptive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you listen to this week's message.
Well, for those of you who are guests or don't know me, my name is Sam Benton. I'm one of the associate pastors here. And uh, last fall, I shared a message with this church about making the most important thing the most important thing. How many of you heard that message? Just a few. Okay. The whole focus of the message was making your time with God, your quiet time, your loud time, whatever kind of time you have with God, making that the most important thing in your life above everything else because our relationship with God is the most important thing, right? And in that message, I shared some tips. Oh, I'm losing my tips. (laughs) I shared some tips about how to make your quiet time full of life. You know, sometimes we do things out of discipline and it's like, yeah, okay, I got to make sure I read my Bible and pray and work. I got to make sure I get it done. I like to call it kind of like I got to clock in. I got to make sure I at least clock in today. And it's more out of, it's not, maybe it's not out of passion. It's just out of habit and I got to do it. Habits are great, right? Habits are great. Habits will get you where you want to go. But enjoying something is better. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And so I talked about some tips about how to enjoy your quiet time. And so today, I want to revisit this sermon. You know, this is my two-part series in eight months apart. But (laughs) how to enjoy your time in the Word. How to take time to really enjoy the Word of God uh, and, and breathe life into your quiet time through the Word. Amen? That's kind of where I want to focus today. Can I hear an amen? Okay, I want you all to know I'm a little bit tired today, okay? So I need a little amen. Yes, brother, come on. Y'all get a little Pentecostal on me. Help wake me up today, all right? <laughs> there we go. That's what I want. And so... So when we study the Word of God, there's several ways to study the Word, correct? I mean, like some of us, we like to just sit and read the Word and say, God, speak to me, show me something today, which is fantastic. I do that. Some of us like to do uh, word studies or uh, topical studies, and I think that's very important to understand what you believe about certain things, baptism, sanctification, predestination. What is it that you believe? Not just what did you hear somebody say, not just what a podcast had or what some commentary wrote, but what do you believe about a particular topic? That makes time in the Word. I mean, when you're reading the Word and God highlights something, you're like, Hey, what does that really mean? And you start trying to find out what it really means. That's exciting, right? So we do topical studies. Uh, There's also, and I don't know if this is politically correct anymore. Some people like to do Russian roulette with the Bible. Okay? Y'all ever heard of that? So you just open your Bible and you scroll your finger down and say, Lord, speak to me through this verse today. Well, what if that verse says Judas hung himself? What are you going to do? David went into his neighbor's wife. I mean, it's like, well, you're going to obey that? I don't propose this as a good way to study your Bible. You know, what do you do? You close your Bible and you reopen it and say, okay, let me find a better verse today. I don't think I want to hang myself. Not a good way to study the Bible, right? 
And then there's what theologians call exegeting the Word of God. Uh, you know, theologians, they always have to have some big word for something. But in a simple term of exegeting the Word of God, it really means to go into the verse or text that you're studying and trying to decipher what's really being said. Who wrote it? Why did they write it? Who are they writing it to? What's the history behind it? What's the culture like? What, what does the text, what did it mean in the moment it was written specifically, right? And so that way you're studying to find out what it really means, not what you want it to mean. Are you with me there? And I think going through your Bible study in a way to ask those kinds of questions just brings life to the Word. Instead of just reading it and skimming through and, you know, I read my three verses, my three chapters today, whatever it is, you start saying, well, why is that there? What's that therefore, therefore? What, what is he saying? And, and who is he writing this to? And it just brings life. My whole point is I want your quiet time, first of all, to be a habit, but second of all, to be life-giving, to be fun, to be enjoyable, to build a relationship with the Lord, not just, okay, I'm going to do my duty. Have you ever done that? It's just my duty? Come on, be honest. I've done it. I know I'm going to clock in. I'm going to make this happen because I know I'm supposed to make this happen. And I think all of us go through seasons like that. I mean, if you're just real and honest about it, right? And so we go through these times and we're, but exegeting the word really helps us. Now, I know some of you do this on a regular basis. You love to exegete the word. You love theologies and you love researching my encouragement to you also is that sometimes we get so into doing that that we don't take the time just to read the Word and say, Lord, what do you want to say to me? Not what are you saying then to whom you're speaking and what does the Greek word of that word mean? No, Lord, here I am. Speak to me about what you want to say to me. And some of us who like to study a lot seldom take the time to just say, Lord, speak to me. Let me hear from you today. You know, the Lord wants to speak to all of us individually. He has something in the scripture that he wants to tell us about the way we live, about the way we think, about the way we believe, about the way we treat others. He's got something in there for us also. So for those of you who like to really dig in and study, many times you don't take the time for the personal. Am I right? I've gone through seasons where I've done the same thing. I'm not saying something to you that I don't know about. I've gone through seasons. I've been doing this for 45 years, uh, almost every day. So I've gone through seasons of all of it myself. And that's why I'm presenting this to you. Now, also theologians have another word like exegete, but it's called eisegete. When you eisegete the word, what they're basically saying is that you read into the text what you want it to say. A lot of times, our, many times, our experiences begin to flow over into the Word of God. And we begin to decipher it according to our experience. If I prayed for my father and my father didn't get healed, then I'm not sure if Jesus really wants to heal everybody. You see how that twist happens? Does Jesus want to heal everybody? Yes. The Word says it clear. It's His desire to heal. 
Why everybody doesn't get healed? I don't know. But I can't change my theology based on my life. If the Word says that God wants me to prosper, but I'm not prospering, I can't change my theology and say that's wrong. Right? And so, and another thing about this, and, and you've got to be very careful about, through my years of studying the Bible and doing certain Bible studies I bought from different people or, you know, with questions and answers, and you go here, and people are trying to, or even preaching, people are trying to promote an idea or a thought, a theology, and they start taking text totally out of context, trying to make it say what they want it to say. You ever done that? You ever read a Bible study and you're like, wait a minute, that has absolutely nothing to do with that, right? And so be careful in your own life. You're not trying to make a text fit into your theology if that's not what it's about. And be careful when you listen to others and you do Bible studies about that. All right. So today, here's what I want to do. I want to take Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. I want us to go through it, and I'm going to exegete a little bit of the Word of God, just as an example. And uh, like I said, I know some of you do this regularly, but I just thought it'd be fun to do it today. Uh, before I begin, Ephesus uh, Church was a church that Paul planted on his third missionary journey. So he's writing to this church that he had relationship with, that he planted. He's writing this book while he's in prison in Rome. And the church he's writing to is predominantly a Gentile church. Okay, so this is who he's writing to. Now, this is a lot of text, but I want to read the whole text because it all goes together. So bear with me and uh, pull out your Bibles, pull up your Bible, whatever you need to do, because I, I can't expect the the people in the booth to keep up with me, not just in this text, but where I'm going to be going. So be ready to scroll through, look through your own hard copy or digital Bible, okay? Are y'all ready? Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him." In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance and until redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot of text. That's a lot of thoughts. I could preach a whole four-month series just on this text, right? That's a lot to talk about. But I want you to, you probably didn't notice, but I want you to know that in that text, Paul uses three periods in all those verses. It's like he is spewing out, the, I mean, the Holy Spirit's just saying, write this down. Have you, has God ever shown you something and you just want to write it down and you're just, there's no grammar. You're not worried about periods or commas. You're just writing like crazy because you want to make sure you get what God's saying to you. I remember doing that many times. And so I feel like Paul's just like in a moment here. He doesn't have a wife like mine who's an English major who, <laughs> who corrects all of my run-on sentences. You know, he's got a bunch of run-on sentences in this text if you look in your Bible. And so he's just like, wow, this, he's just throwing this out there in a powerful way. And like I said, I wanted to bring the whole text to you today because it starts at creation, the foundation of the world, and it ends when all things end up in Christ. It's the foundation of what we believe about what God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has done for us. It's about who we are as believers. It's a beautiful group of texts, right? But the overarching thing of this text is that it's a doxology. How many of you know what a doxology is? Any of you come from liturgical churches? You know, liturgical... All right. How many of y'all know the doxology? Sing along with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. That's why David doesn't let me up here with the band. <laughs> it's a doxology. It's about praise to the Father, praise to the Son, praise to the Holy Spirit. And if you read through this text, the first three verses are all about praise God the Father for what He's done for us. And then in verse 6, it says, to the praise of the glory of His grace. And then you read the next five verses, and it talks all about what Christ has done for us. And He ends it with, to the praise of His glory. And then you read about the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And He ends that and the whole text with, to the praise of His glory. So this whole text is not about what I have. You know, we read this here and we're like, I'm claiming that I'm adopted. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. And I agree. All of that's true. And you can do that. But that's not what Paul's saying here. You know what he's saying? Praise God. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Holy Spirit for what they have done. Not just what I get out of it, but for who they are. Can I hear an amen? amen. <coughs> Excuse me. My voice is giving away here. Mm. The other thing you may have noticed in this text, if you look through your Bible, <coughs> 
in the first 11 verses of this, he talks about in Christ or mentions in Christ or in him 11 times. He wants us to know from the very beginning verse that everything we have is in Christ. Everything. We're adopted in Christ. We're accepted in Christ. We're forgiven in Christ. We belong in Christ. Every one of these blessings that we have are in Christ. And so his focus for his audience then and his audience now is that everything we have is in Christ. It's in Christ. Amen. That is his focus. Well, that's our overview of this group of texts, the 11 verses there. If you never took a deep dive into it and you just read through it, you might not ever catch any of that, right? I mean, I've probably read this verse hundreds of times, but never really dug in to find out what's really going on. What is Paul really saying? Who's he writing this to? Why is he saying this? All those kinds of things. So I encourage you, and my point here today is how to make your time studying the Word more alive. How to dig in and, and find out what's really being said and who's saying and all those kinds of things. Let's go to our first verse. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. So he starts with this praising God for the spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Have you ever read that and started thinking, what, what, what are these spiritual blessings in heavenly places? What is he talking about? Do you ever stop and just think, what are they? What does he mean? Well, if you continue in the text, he explains exactly what he means by that. See, if you study it in context, <clears throat> in verse 4 through 6, he talks about our election and adoption by the Father. Amen? And then verses 7 through 12, our redemption in Christ. And then verses 13 and 14, our infilling of the Holy Spirit. So he's telling us what he's talking about in the text. He starts with praise God for all. He didn't just randomly start with that sentence. Praise God for these spiritual blessings in heavenly places. He's saying, and here's the blessings. Here's the greatest spiritual blessings that we have in heavenly places. There may, may be tons more, but let me tell you, our redemption, our adoption, and our infilling of the Holy Spirit are the greatest spiritual blessings we could ever have. Can I hear an amen? Come on, can I hear an amen? All right, I'm going to get Pentecostal here in a minute. Watch out. <laughs> so, okay, let's move on. Uh, uh, verses uh, 4 through 6. So just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Okay. There, <laughs> there is so much in there, and there is no way I'm going to tackle predestination here in a moment. Right? That's a three-part series, sermon, five-part, month-long, you know, predestination. Right? We're not going there today. But it's just in case you would like to know what I believe 
And if I believe in the free will of man and predestination, the answer is yes. I'll leave it right there. Did you, did you get that? The answer is yes. Okay, yes to both. I believe in both. Hallelujah. And I can argue with you over both if you want to. But you know, here's my challenge to you, though. You need to study the Word of God and find out what you believe. What God shows you in the Word. Not just because I said it, or David says it, anybody else says it. What do you believe? Have you studied to find out? Do you believe in the free will of man or predestination? For many years, I was simply free will of man. Till a Presbyterian taught me about predestination like I'd never heard before. And then I'm like, well, okay, they're both in there. Let's just believe them both. But you don't know till you study the Word to find out. <coughs> and this makes Bible study great and fun. Right? Can I hear an amen? I'm going to keep saying that till y'all start really responding out there. <clears throat> oh boy. Okay, I'm not really going to take time to decipher this text today. But here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to talk a little bit about who is Paul writing when he's writing this text. What church? Ephesus. And what's the demographic of the church mainly? I talked about it earlier. It's Gentiles, right? How many of you are Gentiles? We need a lot more hands popping up. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Okay, that's pretty clear. How many of you are Gentiles? Yeah. <laughs> if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. Now, think about this for a minute. He's writing to these Gentiles, and he's saying you're adopted, that you're predestined. From the foundation of the world, God had a plan of salvation for you. I don't know if they had ever heard that before in their lives. Because in the first century church, there was this whole big debate by the, by the early elders of James, the brother of Jesus, and all the leaders in Jerusalem in the book of Acts. They were arguing whether Gentiles could even be in the kingdom. Gentiles were like second-class people. Gentiles, they wouldn't even have lunch with. They wouldn't go into their house. If you read in Acts where Paul had to, I mean, God had to give Peter a whole vision about these defiled things and said, eat them. Go read it for yourself. And then he said, go with these men and go to their house. And it was a Gentile's house, Cornelius' house. And Peter would not even go in that man's house without a whole vision and word of knowledge and everything else. And then he goes and preaches to the Gentiles and the first Gentiles get saved, literally saved and baptized with the Holy Spirit and baptized. And then when Paul travels and he plants all these churches, you know, Paul was traveling. If you read about his missionary journeys, you know, he'll say, Paul will be writing, he'll say, and I went, I'm going into Asia. Well, that's not the Asia that we know, right? Where was he going? He was going into Turkey. So if you, I teach a Bible study to a group of businessmen on a weekly basis. And we just study this in Acts and I pulled a map up because he's traveling from Jerusalem through Turkey, through uh, Bulgaria and coming down in northern Greece and southern Greece. He's traveling over 1,200 miles. 
If you look at it on the map, and it's like, wow, okay. But in Turkey, there weren't many Jews. So he's writing this mainly to the Gentiles. And he's saying this. He's saying, God thought about you before the foundation of the world. God had a plan for you before the beginning of time. It's not just Israel. Forgive me, Israel lovers. I love Israel. But God had a plan for Israel and God had a plan for the Gentiles also in the beginning of time. And so how do you think that made these Gentiles feel? Loved, accepted, like they belong, like they're not stepchildren, right? Because they've always been treated like stepchildren. Paul says, You're, you are chosen by God. You're adopted. You were in God's thoughts before the foundation of the world. Can I hear an amen? amen. Maybe we should just say, praise be to the glory of God. Amen. Can you say that? Praise be to the glory of God. It's all about God. It's not about us. It's what God's done for us. And we are Gentiles. Thank most of us. You know, I don't know how many Jewish, real Jewish people we have in here. But anyway, I think that is just so powerful in this here. Okay, let me ask you a question as I've gone through this. What is the, this is not a rhetorical question. I'm looking for answers. What's the purpose of my message today? Don't be shy. There's no wrong answer. I won't hit a gong or say, oh, wrong. That's what my psychology professor did my freshman year. We had a class of 300 people and someone would give an answer. It's wrong. He'd say, wrong, you stupid kid. <laughs> Nobody wanted to answer. There's no. So what, what's the purpose of my message? What did I start off with? What am I telling you? What was that? Make Bible study full of life. Have a quality, quiet time, and your Bible study, let it be full of life, right? Okay. We all have different personalities, right? Through all your years of studying the Bible, have you ever got stuck where all you really do in your quiet time is read the Bible? That's it. Your quiet time is just reading the Bible. Yeah. Have you ever got stuck where your quiet times just praise and worship and prayer? That's all you do. Don't. Is that a good diet? Is that a good diet? Just to always pray and worship? I mean, I can just sit and listen and worship God for an hour and then go on my way. I could do that any day. But you need some vegetables and meat and Maybe not too many starches. Some starches. Huh? And chocolate, of course, right? And so what happens is sometimes in our quiet time, we get stuck. We get stuck in a rut of doing the same thing over and over and over. And I want to encourage you not to get stuck. I have to encourage myself not to get stuck. We get stuck because we all have different personalities and we, we feed off of certain things. We like certain things better than others. And so we tend to focus on those certain things. But we're not going to grow up if we just get stuck on one thing. Right? 
we need a good diet. See, I talk about personalities are different. Some of us like fried chicken, and some of us like just that dried out grilled chicken, you know. Actually, no, I think the truth is all of us like fried chicken, but we make ourselves eat that grilled chicken. <laughs> tell the truth. Tell the truth. So, I mean, if you like fried chicken, you can tell I like fried chicken. It shows. I eat a little fried chicken, you know. <laughs> what? Southern fried. But it's really what we like. And so I want to encourage you in your quiet time. A healthy diet is more important than just one thing. And if you found a formula that really works for you, that you love doing, then stick to it and do it. But my encouragement to you is that your, your quiet time doesn't have to be a formula or a technique that you do. It's, it's not about learning knowledge from the Bible. It's not about singing worship songs. What's it really about? Huh? Relationship. It's about knowing God. It's not about clocking in and getting my thing done. I want to build a relationship with my Father and His Son Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I want to grow in who I am. And so if I just worship and pray all the time, I'm not feeding on the Word. I'm not allowing God to speak to me, to train me, to rebuke me, to correct me, to encourage me. I'm not allowing the Word to do what it needs to do in my life. And if all I do is study the Word and exegete the Word, which is a lot more mental than anything, then, then you get stuck there and you're not building the relationship that comes through worship and prayer. I'm sharing this with you again because the greatest discipler of you and me is Jesus Himself. And when we take the time to read his word, and you might read the word for three or four days in a row without a prayer or a worship song. You get engrossed in studying some topic or something God's highlighted. That's fantastic. It's life-giving. Then you might worship for two or three days. I'm just saying, you don't have to make sure you get all the cookies in in one, one slot. Right? Sometimes I just eat the meat, forget the rest. You know, it's kind of funny. My daughter-in-law said, I could just quit cooking your son vegetables. All he does is eat the meat and leave the vegetables. <laughs> I said, son, you got to eat the vegetables, you know. So <clears throat> the thing is, you got to continue to grow in God. I can share with you. Somebody else can share with you. You can learn things in your community group. But when you're alone, all alone, and you're connecting with Jesus... He talks to you, right? In moments of deep worship where you just sit there and you're encountering Him, He'll correct me in ways nobody else can correct me. I never feel judged or condemned. I just feel like, yes, Father, okay, I'll do that, right? When you're reading the Word and it says, you know, don't talk like this, don't treat people like this, don't, you say, yes, Father, I won't do that. That's better than me coming to you and say, hey, man, don't do that. <laughs> You're like, shut up, Sam. No, <laughs> not really. But do you hear me? Let's stand up together. So the real point of my message today, again, is make the most important thing the most important thing.
Don't let it slip. Sometimes I'm a doer kind of guy. I want to get things done. And sometimes I can get so busy, I slip. And I'll go two or three days without taking that time. But then I notice and I say, hmm, my attitude's not good. My peace is not good. Something's not right. I've been striving for too many days. I need to stop, sit and listen and enjoy the Lord. Father, we come before you today and we ask you to help every one of us. I'm praying for me too, Lord, to make sure that we make our time with you the most important thing in our life above everything else. Help us to dig into the word. Help us to learn to just sit and listen to you through the word. Help us to make sure we're worshiping, that we're seeking your face, that we're interceding for others, that we're making a variety. We have a good diet of all that we need to grow up in you. In the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I'll do like my wife and say, I'm done. (laughs) God bless you all. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you live in the Charlotte area, we encourage you to worship with us on Sundays at 10 a.m. We encourage you also to give to this ministry so we can continue spreading the gospel to our city and throughout the world. You can go to our website at missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Have a great rest of your week. God bless.